Hi, I'm Nick Warren. This week's speaker is the indomitable South African mountaineer, Cathy O'Dowd. She is best known as the first woman in the world to have climbed Everest from both sides. But in this week's episode of the I Learn podcast, Cathy talks about a different expedition, the one she describes as the most difficult of her life. For anybody who wants to blaze a trail or go where nobody has been before, this week's episode and Cathy's story is for you. Hi, first quantum leaders. I'm Cathy O'Dowd, a mountain climber and a motivational speaker. Best known as the first woman in the world to have climbed Everest from both sides. And of course, motivation and Everest just go together. Because Everest isn't just the highest mountain in the world. It's this metaphor that we use for everything that is about achievement. But that being said, I climbed Everest a quarter of a century ago, and things have changed. Everest in 2019 or 2021, if COVID passes us by, Everest is now a queue of commercial clients who are paying professional guides sixty, seventy, a hundred thousand dollars to be escorted up the mountain. Everest is now so straightforward that they've run a safety line from base camp to the summit. You don't even need to bring an ice axe with you. You simply clip into the line at base camp, make sure you're facing up the mountain, not down, and start to shuffle up step by step in the queue. Uh, Sherpas will carry all your equipment, lay out your tent, cook your dinner. Guides will tell you which way to face, what to do, what to wear, and you'll get your Instagram happy snaps on the summit of Everest. It looks the same, but it's not. In its essence, it is in no sense related to what Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay did when they did the first ascent, or what George Mallory did in the 20s when he went out looking just to try and find Everest and work out how to climb it. The spirit of being a pioneer, of being someone who is attempting to do something that no human being has ever managed before, that's long gone from the modern version of Everest. But it does still exist in the mountains. And I think it makes an interesting parallel for anybody who's thinking about trying to blaze a trail, push your expertise where no one's managed to go before. And I want to share with you the most difficult expedition I ever took part in, which was not Everest. It was an attempt to climb a route called the Mazeno Ridge that no one had ever managed to do on a mountain called Nangapabat which is one of the 8,000-metre peaks. It's in Pakistan. Now, there's a reason why the Mazeno Ridge had not been achieved. It's high. It's long. So the ridge sits at 7,000 metres high. It's over five kilometres long. And then once it actually meets the main mass of the mountain, you've still got to climb over another 1,000 metres to make the summit of Nangaparbat. So... I think about 10 teams had tried and uh, two had got to the end of the ridge, but no one had ever been able to keep on going and finish it. So how do you conceptualize a problem that difficult? Well, meticulous planning is very much part of it. Some members of our team had actually been on the mountain and tried. They'd seen the ridge. 
They turned away, decided it was too difficult. We'd watched as other teams tried, made notes of how far they got, what they achieved, why they failed. Looking at the most successful, they got all the way through the main ridge line, but they ran out of supplies. They also went down with altitude sickness. So it looked like one of our challenges was going to be to carry enough supplies to finish the job. That sounds like an obvious solution, much bigger team, but that's not how it works. There's a, a style, an ethic, if you like, that's called Alpine style. It's the mountaineering equivalent of low impact and sustainable. No fixed camps, no fixed safety ropes, none of the razzmatazz of Everest. You leave base camp with a rucksack of kit and what you've got is what you've got and you take it all with you. So, first stage was to have a long, long, hard look at what had been done, why people had failed, how we could be different. And we tried to put together a more diverse team. Six people, three Western climbers who'd climbed all the way around the world, all sorts of different styles, ice, rock, alpine, all seven continents, a real breadth of strategic experience. And then three Sherpa climbers. But they're coming to Pakistan. They've never seen this mountain before. They've never even been to Pakistan before. So they're not acting as guides. They're on the team as physically very strong climbers. And we're hoping that expertise plus strength plus all our sort of previous research will give us an edge. The next stage to planning is actually being there. We're not yet climbing. We're acclimatizing, getting used to the altitude testing our health, our fitness, our equipment, and making last-minute decisions. The mountain is different every year, the weather, the snow conditions. Key to final decisions are two things. One is, how many days do we think we're going to be on the mountain? We've talked about needing enough supplies to finish, but more supplies is weight. It's heavy. We're carrying all of this ourselves. And it's not just carrying food. There's no liquid water. You've got to melt water. So it's cylinders of gas. And we're trying to find a balance between an ever heavier rucksack, which makes us more tired, makes us more slow, makes us more clumsy for technical climbing, and getting three, two-thirds of the way and running out of supplies. And we end up with 10 days as our plan. Six days to the top, two days to get down, two days in reserve. The other final plan we need to make is planning to fail. Where are the exit points if this goes wrong? You simply can't march up the mountain saying winners never quit. It's nonsense. If your challenge is genuinely difficult, of course you might fail. So fail effectively with as little damage as possible. Or frankly, for us, another way of thinking about it is not so much failure as two goals. One is to get to the summit the other one is to come home alive. We're trying to keep those two goals lined up. But if they start to drift, let's pick the right one. You know, let's come home alive. So, exits in place. We've worked out a schedule. Equipment packed. As acclimatized as we're going to get. Time to climb. The plan went awry from day one and it only got worse. Essentially, we were too slow. For a whole set of reasons, incredibly deep snow a lot of mist, unpredictable weather, and then the kind of just unexpected 
accidents, setbacks that happen as you try and execute a project. With the result that we made our first bid to actually get to the summit. So that means we've set our high camp, we've dumped our tents and all our extra gear. This is the day we're going to try to get to the top. We made that summit bid on day 11. Remember, this was a 10-day plan. So by day 11, we're already down to a handful of energy bars and some boiled sweets. We're down to our last cylinders of gas. We've still got to get off the mountain. So, big push, day 11, and we don't make it. We run into a rock wall that we can't climb. We've not picked the right route. Running out of hours of daylight, we're eventually forced back to our high camp. And there we are. Night 11, exhausted. We've been climbing relentlessly for well over a week. So close and yet so utterly far from the summit, running out of supplies. And because this ridge is so long, our descent route is not going back the way we've come. It's too far. We're going to go straight down the side, and that means climbing down a route we've never seen before. That's tricky. So where do you go in this moment? The first thing we had to do was think about how did we arrive here? A very strong climbing team, very experienced, with some very careful planning. What went wrong? And I think, interestingly, three things went wrong, effectively. We'd picked that diverse team, but we hadn't put the work in to integrate the team. Now, I think the diversity was absolutely an asset. We needed the strength of the Sherpas. We needed the savvy of the Western climbers. But we didn't take the time to get the two things to integrate well. The Sherpas were endlessly out in front, blazing a trail, but they're used to being in the queue on Everest. They didn't have the expertise to pick the right route when you've got a dozen options in the mist and it's not clear where to go. Our expertise climbers at the back, just exhausted, trying to keep up, just trying to manage the physical burden of the climb while trying to keep to a 10-day schedule. We needed to put a lot more thought beforehand into integrating a diverse team. Then the second problem, which plays off this integration, is communication. Small team is like, of course we'll be able to communicate, it's fine. But it's not. When you're climbing, you're held apart by your safety ropes, you're wearing four layers of clothing, the wind is howling, and the only way to stay warm is to move. Very difficult just get together for a thoughtful discussion about what's happening. Obviously, we camp every night, but we're using these tiny two-man tents, partly because they're much lighter, partly because it's easier to find a camping spot for a very small tent than a bigger one, you know, on, on a steep mountainside. And these two-man tents mean we're instantly siloed every evening. And of course, every evening, there's still hours of work to do. Melting snow, cooking food, repairing equipment, trying to sleep, doing communications, getting weather reports. It just never ends, the list of stuff that has to happen now, now, now. And in all of that, we didn't have a safe space for the team to get together and have a thoughtful discussion. What are we seeing? How should that change the plan? What should we be doing tomorrow? It just wasn't happening. Which comes to our third big problem. 
which is we clung to the plan. It was a nice plan. We'd put a lot of work into it. And you can do that on Everest. When the, you know, the, the challenge is known, you know, almost footstep by footstep. It's so predictable. But when you're trying to blaze a trail, do something unknown like this, that plan is simply your best hope. We needed to let go of the plan much earlier. Rely on the, the skill, the broad skill base of the team. Rely on the depth of previous experience of the team and come up with a modified plan day by day based on what we were seeing. But one of the mistakes we made by clinging to the plan was putting ourselves under such pressure to try and fit into those 10 days. We got too tired, and when you're tired, you start to make poor decisions. There is very little food left. We're fairly close to the summit, but our high camp is probably too low. And we've got two goals. Get to the summit, come down alive. It's looking a bit tricky. And this is where we made quite a radical decision, which was to split the team. Leave the two strongest climbers with all the supplies we had left. And let the other four people, myself included, go down two days, no supplies, doesn't matter. Get off the mountain safely. And what's interesting is those two strongest climbers, they weren't Sherpa climbers. Because right now it's not about physical strength. It's about emotional commitment and depth of strategic expertise. Very briefly... Four of us got down safely. The two, they took another three days to get to the summit. We were not close enough. And then they began an epic descent. Out of food, out of gas, not drinking, not eating. By the time they eventually got to the bottom of the mountain, it had taken 18 days on a 10-day plan. A fascinating experience of what it really takes to be at the pioneering edge of modern mountaineering. How much goes into it and how much of it is not mountain climbing. It's team management. It's project management. It's been a challenge to put so much into so little time. If you're interested in this expedition in more detail, this was the first ascent of Nanga Parbat via the Mazeno Ridge. There's a great book by Sandy Allen, I hope you found this interesting. There's always going to be another mountain out there and we tackle them based on the skill and the experience and the confidence that comes from everything we've done before. Good luck. That's it for this week's iLearn podcast. iLearn is First Quantum's new learning system and the full system will be available later in the year. Everybody involved in these podcasts has given their time for free. And there'll be a new one and a new speaker out next week. Until then, thanks for listening and see you next time.